What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and we are doing another whiteboard session here today. And hopefully you guys have been enjoying this. I've been getting a lot more people watching these on YouTube, so I think I might start producing like a YouTube show and kind of venture into that way. But um, before we get into our topic of controlled articular rotations, we need to do some shout outs and I am prepared this time. Number one, all the way in Tennessee, a city named Chattanooga, Chattanooga. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I apologize if I don't. Number two, all the way in California, the city of Anaheim. So pumped to see this city on my top three because Disneyland is in Anaheim. I fucking love Disneyland. I am so sad to see that Disneyland has been closed for eight months now. And, you know, I've been recently watching uh, Magic Journeys. If you don't know who they are, they're a foodie vlog that these this couple goes into Disneyland and eats all their food and reviews it. Um, they just opened Buena Vista Street in... Uh, Disney's California Adventure and just seeing the cast members coming back to work finally like it's it, it's just a moving experience to see people finally get their livelihood back and kind of get back onto their feet and it just reminds me that you know where I am here in BC uh, Vancouver Canada um we're, I'm really, really fortunate to still be working. Like things didn't really shut down to such a huge extreme. Who knows, maybe it will, but you know, there's a lot of people in California. I know that their gym has been closed for eight months and you know, they're barely making it by. So where am I, where am I going with this? Just be appreciative of what you have in your life. Um, and number three, all the way out in the UK, a city named Weybridge. Shout out to everyone in Weybridge listening to my show. Okay, we are going to talk about controlled articular rotation. So, you know, I have been following functional anatomy seminars, can't even speak, functional anatomy seminars for a while now. <clears throat> Probably since 2016. And in 2018, I got certified through the FRC, which is functional range conditioning, which is kind of like the entry level to um, that whole FRS system. And Dr. Andrew Espina, the creator, coined this term of controlled articular rotations, which is basically a fancy way of saying moving your joint the way it's designed. And I thought it was a brilliant way to incorporate movement at each single joint the way it's designed to do so and not just like oh i'm just doing arm circles like this is not a controlled articular rotation and if you've been following me for a while i've been doing a lot of movement based stuff because in my head it just makes sense you know like before i got introduced to um andrew Spina's work it was more so like just move be functional move 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 but not understanding that every single joint has the ability to move in so many different motions and if you don't use it you'll lose it 
right? So <clears throat> I kind of want to go over um, controlled articular rotations in depth. And essentially what it is, is like, if you look at the design of our joints, they're designed to move. And if you think about it, if something in our body is designed to do something and we choose not to do anything with it, you would think that our bodies would probably like realize that and go, you know what? Maybe because you haven't been using it, we need to get rid of it or take away that ability. And that's essentially what happens. So if I have a dude that I'm training, I always bring this example up, Steve the accountant that sits at 90 degrees with his hips, pelvis tucked under, shoulders rolled forward, in this position, eight to 10 hours, Monday to Friday, gets into a car, same position, gets onto the couch, gets onto the dinner table, whatever it is, those hips have probably adapted to that stress because whatever we do every single day is stress. It's probably adapted to that. And your body goes, well, you haven't moved your hips past 90 degrees of flexion. Let's just make you more efficient at it and keep you there. So when Steve decides to go to the gym and do some squats, he feels stuck, he might feel pinching, he might feel whatever in his hips that doesn't feel smooth. It doesn't feel like butter. It just There's some like pops, cracks, creaks and stuff like that. So this whole idea of moving every single joint the way it's designed, like lit a light bulb in my head. I'm like, well, if someone can't move their elbow the way it's designed due to whatever it is, then things like push-ups, pull-ups, rows, like anything the elbow does or influences probably is not a good idea to now load it, right? And I want to kind of do a visual here. So for those who are listening, highly recommend you click the link in your show notes to watch this. So what I put here on a board, I know I am not an artist. Essentially, this is gonna be your glenohumeral joint, so in your shoulder. So if you look at any kind of joint, especially the um, hip and shoulder, it is a ball and socket joint. So this like C over here is your socket, and then this little bulb thing is the ball. And then this would be your humerus, right? So if I was literally trying to demonstrate what this looks like on a human body. This is my right shoulder here. Literally ball and socket. So the humerus that has this little ball here, let's shade this out. So then you understand that this is bone. The shoulder can do so many things. And I wish I was a way to do a 3D model, but you know, right now it's like hovering in flexion, but my arm can go all the way up to full flexion overhead. It can go down by my, uh, by my leg here, but my shoulder can also go pretty far into extension, right? And then if you had to think of a 3D model here. If this was my arm, I can go also to abduction this way. I can also go to adduction. 
into the middle. So for those who people, for those who don't know um, those words, so flexion means this, going above the head, extension means going behind, adduction is into the center because I'm adding, abduction is I'm going away. So my shoulder is able to do that. So what is necessary in order for this shoulder um, to do, and then another thing too, which is kind of hard to see, but like say this is my shoulder here, my shoulder is also able to do axial rotations between internal and external rotation, right? And like my shoulder just popped a bunch. And in order to do that, all the stuff between the ball and socket, this stuff needs to be, you know, in prime condition. How do you do that? Anytime I move my arm into different planes of motion, I am lathering, like think of like slapping on some freaking maple syrup on fucking pancakes in the morning. I'm lathering up this whole area with synovial fluid. And that's what gives the um, shoulder this like slide and glide type of feel in movements that I do every day in the gym, whatever it is. And then it also sends nutrients to the joint itself, right? So the more I do that, it builds the integrity of the joint. And the way I like to describe this so people kind of get it is that feeling where say you were flossing your teeth and you were doing that regularly like every single night like you're supposed to your teeth integrity improves your gums become healthier because you're taking out all the shit that's built up in there from your day of drinking coffee and eating whatever and then you decided to eat a freaking media steak like all that stuff is getting um get rid of so it doesn't cause any kind of inflammation or any kind of um any kind of issues in your gums so similar to flossing your teeth you moving your joints the way they're designed is the ability for you to floss your joints right it's just like good hygiene like you're practicing joint hygiene and another good example that i go back to the teeth is like imagine that i only use my shoulder for going onto my phone going onto my laptop and then grabbing something out of the cupboard i have now made those three planes of motion um, for my shoulder really efficient but say now I need to like as I'm driving go grab something behind now I'm taking my shoulder into like internal rotation and ex um, extension to grab something behind and then people end up like feeling pain in their anterior shoulder they feel tightness through their neck they might have pulled something because you don't train back here and your body doesn't know how to control it anymore it's taken that ability away from you and as i get people learning how to do shoulder cars and for those people watching doesn't understand what i'm talking about so well step one control articular rotations is one way to abbreviate it is i literally like a motor vehicle cars so now we know cars is an abbreviation if i take my hand by my side hopefully you can see this 
As I come into flexion, I get into my end range. Here I start rotating my hand around and behind, so I'm going to like abduction and going into um, extension with my arm. I come down to my side and I reverse that. And as I do this, the one thing you'll notice is that nothing else in my body compensated for it. So a lot of times when I teach cars for the first time, especially the shoulder, a lot of people will come up here, the elbow breaks, they start shrugging, they start rotating, the whole shoulder comes up towards their ear and they're like, hey, what the hell's going on? And they do one of these things and like their hand can't like rotate over, their fingers are all weird and like elbows bent and they just look like this disfigured thing and they don't really understand how their shoulder's supposed to move, right? So when I see that, I'm like, and you go to the gym and load the fuck out of your shoulder by doing an overhead press when I ask you just to move your shoulder through the ranges of motion that it's designed to do and you can't even like control um, that limb and get the feedback necessary in order to do the simple little motion, right? Like it's like mind boggling, right? And then you wonder why people injure themselves. Um, so the one thing when I give shoulder cards for the first time to people and they're kind of like all over the place, there might be pain, um, I kind of go back to that reference of, you know, flossing your gums. Um, a lot of times when you get people flossing for the first time or you start flossing again because you haven't done it in months, you end up, you know, getting like a little like bloody in the gums and you're like fuck this sucks like i need to keep doing this and it's kind of like doing shoulder cards for the first time ever like you know it's gonna suck it's gonna feel weird it's gonna feel tight you're like why the hell is my shoulder not moving the way it should right um so that's kind of like the parallel that i give people so if we know that the glenohumeral joint can do all these motions and we have no ability to control it. And that's where a lot of times injury happens is in environments where we can't control it. So going back to the whole, oh, I'm driving, my phone out of my pocket fell underneath my seat. And now I have to go down and go grab it behind. Like this is where most likely everyone's gonna get injured. So if I could teach somebody how to utilize their shoulder by teaching them um, all the movements it's responsible for and get them really efficient at it, most likely, you know, that shoulder is going to stay healthy. Most likely it's not going to get injured. Most likely it's going to do influence other movements, right? So if you remember, maybe it was my first video that I filmed, I was talking about the whole joint by joint approach and, you know, it's a good basis to start with. It's not the end all be all. It makes sense, but you know, the shoulder needs to be mobile and stable at the same time. If we remember the last video when I was talking about tension and safety, stability is safety. If I can control my arm around and behind to grab something, I am one, needing mobility to get there, two, I need stability to hold that position to grab whatever my cell phone, freaking whatever I fell on the ground while I'm driving to safely come back and not 
F up anything else. So I find a lot of times when I see people moving terribly through shoulder cars, then, you know, that just paints a picture of what's going to happen in a workout. And, you know, when we look at cars and essentially you can do everything from the neck all the way down to your toes. And then when you start looking at the body and any one of these things between your neck and to your toes, if any of those things in between don't move the way they should, something else is going to compensate. So now let's look at, let's go down the chain. Let's say my shoulder doesn't move the way it should when I do my shoulder car and somebody starts getting medial elbow pain or lateral elbow pain and this is where a lot of times I will just use a shoulder car as an assessment tool because if I ask someone to go through ranges of motion that their shoulder should do and there is a break in um, the movement or there's some sort of discrepancy from left to right then most likely the cult, next culprit is gonna probably be the elbow. And I can already see is when people come up into their shoulder car, they break at the elbow because the shoulder doesn't have that range to give them full elbow extension while doing stuff through here. So now people are gonna build up elbow pain. And when you get elbow pain, it is a bitch when you go to the gym because think about everything you do. You have to grip and you gripping is going to turn on that lateral stuff around the elbow, which again goes back to like if I had a good base with um, my shoulder, then the elbow wouldn't have to pick up the slack. Now, how do we use cars? So there's something called the morning routine. And essentially what we do is move every single joint. Like I'll do three repetitions, like super quick from my neck down to my toes. So let's literally, uh, let's write all this in. My neck, my T-spine, uh, my scaps, shoulder, elbow, wrists, hips, um, knees, ankles, and then toes. Yeah, so I covered everything. And you know what? I'm going to do one of these and go with the spine. So, when we move every single one of these from your neck down to your toes, through every motion that is designed to do, most likely over time, all this stuff is probably going to move and feel better. Now, there's this term called workspace. If we go back to my shoulder, um, example, the glenohumeral joint, and we go back to that 
person that I see in the clinic, gym, or whatever, and their shoulder cart looks like this. Like, just a fucking disaster dumpster fire of shit. Their workspace is this. This is their workspace. This is what they're all able to do at that moment. What we're trying to achieve by utilizing cars is to increase the available workspace. So if I know this is all I have to work with, I have a lot of work to do. So finding a suitable range of motion without any compensation, because I find that a lot of times when I get people doing shoulder cars, just like every other exercise, they're trying to push themselves to the limit and it's like, no. If I'm constantly getting you to do this kind of shoulder car, it's not gonna benefit you at all. So where I find, um, the best kind of result to see the improvement of doing any kind of car is finding those tight spots as feedback and creating kind of a buffer zone around it. So say the same person, I have them coming up to their shoulder car and like say around here is when I see that elbow break and a little hike, I take like an inch away and that's their full range that they can control, no problem. And say they're coming out to the side and they're trying to get higher, but this happens, then I'm like, all right, let's hang out here. And then we rotate and that looks a lot better. Just because, you know, before they were up here, doesn't mean that's necessarily any better. If I can get them here in a full controlled pattern, that workspace is going to now influence a little bit more quality. So a lot of times it's just like that disconnect of the brain and muscles involved in all these motions don't really understand each other just yet. So if I can get someone moving through space and time in a more, I wouldn't say like better form or better posture, it's just, it just looks a lot nicer than this stuff. Um, that's going to influence a little bit better movement and it's going to not go back into those you know, compensational patterns that I see a lot. And it's gonna kind of reteach that nervous system of how to control that movement. And, you know, a lot of times when people do this like daily, so this morning routine that we've written down right here, if people just did three repetitions of every single car, and I think for the next video, I'll do like a full on um, morning routine breakdown how to do all this stuff, which I think will be super helpful. So all my listeners are gonna have to watch the video. Or, you know, again, you could listen. I can be very descriptive how I uh, break this down. Um, if you did three repetitions, and I remember filming myself and doing a post like two years ago, um, literally all of this will take five minutes. So now if I tell people, you know, five minutes, oh man, that was a terrible five. But you know what? It's not my fault. I cut my finger yesterday and the band-aid is literally where seriously I can't even write a five. Five minutes a day. Um will definitely improve the quality of movement or just the integrity of the joint itself. Now, say someone's been doing their cars religiously every single day, day in, day out, it's been months, 
and say their movement hasn't improved. Most of the time, there's a larger, you know, elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. And a lot of times, um, this is where things like pails and rails come into play. So I didn't think I was going to go down this route, but here we are. So pails and rails. So another abbreviation within the FRS community, and essentially what we have here is a progressive angular isometric loading, and then just like pails, rails to the opposite is regressive angular isometric loading. What the fuck does that mean? Spina has the saying that force is the language of the cells. So our muscle cells, they don't have a brain to like determine what they're going to do. They need to be influenced of what they do. So if I am Steve, the accountant, sitting at his desk all day, those muscle cells that are responsible for doing whatever, you are now giving them information that I want you to be dumb tissue and lay down fucking tightness in my hips because I don't use them. And if I do that every single day, I'm just like furthering the layers on top of each other of tightness. And this is why cars tend to not fix mobility, like flexibility issues. It just improves the joints quality that could allow you to open up new range of motion. Now, with pails and rails, if I can influence the muscle cells to become more resilient and lay off that emergency e-brake type of feeling on our muscles, that's where true change comes from. So say I do pails and rails now every single day, coupled with my um, cars routine for the morning routine. Now I'm getting into something where we get into like a kin stretch, um, what's that called? Pr not principle, but methodology where I personally believe kin stretch is one of those, one of the best practices to increase your mobility, but also have full control of it. Right? So this whole idea of, you know, flexibility training, like most people just go into yoga, but here's my thing with yoga. You, for one, if you look back to the origins of like way, way, way back of yoga, it wasn't about poses. It was about meditation, being in the present moment. Some dude came about and decided that we're gonna add poses within that realm. And the guy who created the poses has no anatomy background. So a lot of times you get some general population uh, person in a yoga class doing stuff that's probably making them a little bit worse. That's why you see um, the typical yogi um, is pretty thin. They've been probably flexible the whole, their whole lives or they were a general population person that was fit already with no injury history whatsoever and they picked up yoga and they got good at it. So just like the sp specific adaptation principle, 
when you place a specific stress, your body adapts to it and gets good at it. So like Steve the accountant, he's good at sitting. You stay there all day. You get someone doing yoga every single day, they get good at yoga. What are some things that they uh, also get is some sort of flexibility. But this is my whole thing is that I can get a yogi in my kin stretch class that I teach and find positions and movements that they have trouble with because they're one of those flexible people where it's kind of like a Ferrari. They have, you know, the outside, the engine and everything like that. That's the Ferrari. But the moment I ask them to turn a sharp corner, they have no brakes and they just end up hitting the wall, right? They don't have full control. They have full control in Warrior 2 and Warrior 3, but you take any kind of variable out of those things, they flop over, right? So guaranteed, if I had a like amazing yogi in front of me and they were doing Warrior 3 and I told them to turn their head to like the left as far as possible, their entire body would fall over. They're taught to do the pose in a certain way and hold it there and they become really efficient at it. But if you throw in a little variance, then it's kind of all over the place. So kin stretch, combining pails and rails and cars and some other stuff that I do in my class kind of bulletproofs you in those variable positions. And the nice side effect of it is you do get more range of motion but the range of motion that we're looking for is more active range of motion. So the difference between those two is that, you know, we have our passive range of motion and active range of motion. Say I am lay on my back. Maybe I can show it because I am on a bed. Lay on my back and I have someone behind me and they're going to stretch out my leg. They grab my leg and they take me here, right? And they're stretching me out which is awesome. Say that person leaves and now I need to actively lift it and I'm here and I'm like, well, what it gives? I can go over here when someone's, you know, pushing me, um, assisting me in the stretch, but actively I can go over here. So now there's this like, say if my foot ended up here passively and that's my active range of motion, there's this huge gap between the two that I could get if I was more actively um, flexible, if that's even, a term that I just came up with. Um, All right, so good thing I checked because my camera just decided to stop. So I ended off with the difference between active and passive range of motion. Essentially, that's what kin stretch, which is pails and rails and cars and some other things will ultimately do. Now, I want to wrap this up because I don't want to talk for another like 20 minutes and it's cut. So what I was talking about before it all cut out after my, you know, lying active range of motion, um, an example of how pails and rails, rails work. I want to make this quick. Sam, I'm in my 90, 90 position. I lean forward. I'm in my hip external rotation stretch. Now in the literature, Stretch receptors start turning on, waiting for information about the two minute mark. Um, at that point is when I'm gonna insert more information to those stretch receptors of what I, wanna, what I want them to do, which is give me more range of motion. How do I do that? Force, because force is the language of the cells. I 
do a palest contraction where I drive my knee and ankle down into the ground as hard as possible. Now I'm sending more information to all the tissues responsible for hip external rotation. After the, doing a pales contraction, I'm gonna do a rails contraction, which is the opposite, where I'm thinking of driving my knee and ankle off the ground, lifting it up because it's the opposite said tissue from my hip down to my knee, kind of this whole section, right? Because again, our bodies move as one unit, it's not just one muscle going, mm, mm, whatever it is, right? Doing a bicep curl, it's influencing a lot more. It's a global effect. So if I'm trying to get better hip external rotation, I also gotta work on the tissues on the inside of the leg, right? So the more I do this, the more I influence my nervous system of going, hey, you have this information, I want more range of motion, it's eventually gonna listen to you. In a kin stretch setting or me trying to improve someone's mobility, if I did pails and rails, I've kind of unlocked a lot of um, new range of motion and I wanna solidify it by challenging it. So if I know that I did my pails and rails, and I got whatever new range of motion. Now I'm gonna do like an active range lift off where I try to lift a leg and hold it there to now solidify that, hey, every time I do this motion, this is actually my real range of, my real active range of motion. And like rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat over and over and over again, eventually your nervous system is gonna go like, you know what, you've been asking me a lot. I don't have to like have that e-brake on and prevent you from moving. So here you go. Now I'm gonna end it there because I don't want this to shut off. Thank God it didn't shut off. So hopefully, you know, my explanation of controlled articular rotations, pails and rails, how kin stretch, uh, kin stretch influences your um, ability to gain more range of motion actively and not passively. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out hit the show notes to watch this video. Um, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook and Instagram. And thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You guys are awesome.